uncommon sense advice on your work life, your personal life, and God knows what else. Welcome to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. We are, no doubt, a Lucas society. After all, the human beings say Homo sapien is a visual species. We make judgments based on how people look. It's much harder to judge people on the substance, so the way their face appears, their, their hair, their makeup, um, their weight. We make judgments, and those first impressions are hard to beat, hard to compensate for. And so we have a billion-dollar industry of clothing and makeup and hair and cosmetic surgery. There are coaches who teach people to smile their best smile. I don't think that's my best smile. Or, um, you know, posture. You know, in the old days, they used to have deportment classes so that if your shoulders are back and your chin is slightly up, which I noticed President Obama was really good at that. Whenever he was making a controversial point, he raised his chin just slightly, which made him appear more confident. So there is an infinite number of ways in which we've spent money and time and effort on looking good. And so far be it for me to say stop doing it, but in an attempt to provide a little bit of balance, it's made me sad that I see a number of my clients who end up spending a lot of time on their sizzle and not the steak, whether it be their appearance or the appearance of their resume. They spend more time on the gift wrapping than on the product within. And so while some people do get away with focusing on their looks, especially those who are just endowed with naturally good looks and a, a natural... Uh, a naturally tendency to be slender, natural tendency to be tall. We, we are prejudiced against short people, fat people. If you've got that tall, slim demeanor, if you've got a full head of hair, unlike me, you've got a plus going for you. The question is, how much do you want to accept that conventional societal wisdom that you need to spend a lot of time on your hair, makeup, clothes, posture. Is I know somebody who spends over an hour every morning on hair and makeup, and God knows how much time she spends getting keratin treatments to straighten her hair, uh, shining treatments, hair color, uh, uh, eyelashes, artificial eyelashes. What else? Eyebrow enhancement. And this is a woman who's attractive by nature already, and she spends a fortune and a huge amount of time every morning an hour on hair, makeup, and clothes. And how much time she spends shopping. She gives Imelda Marcos a run for her money. We all have a certain amount of energy, a certain amount of time, a certain amount of money. And so the question I would ask you is, are you spending the amount of time you really should be spending on your on your uh, on your substance rather than your appearance take a moment and think about it one of the easier ways to um, to deal with it if you decide that you want to tone down the amount of time and effort and money that you're spending on appearance and simply psychological you know 
you end up, so many people end up feeling crappy about themselves. They don't look good that day. If they have a bad hair day. But assuming you want to tone down all of that. How can one do that in a society in which everything you see, everybody, every newscaster is a pretty person. Nearly every commercial, every sitcom, every movie shows conventionally attractive people. And you know that people get ahead career-wise if they look better. Is it realistic to say, screw it, I'm going to spend the minimum amount of time on my appearance. Yeah, I might comb my hair or wear my favorite few outfits that are most flattering, but keeping it really minimalist. The key to being able to do that is the foundational acceptance of who you are. Most vivid example of this is weight. The vast majority of people who lose weight gain it all back and more. And that's supposed to be dangerous. If your body was meant to be relatively overweight, I'm not saying unhealthy overweight, but somewhat overweight, would it be wiser for you to accept that? And maybe, pardon the pun, nibble away at your weight problem with just maybe a little bit less, one bite less of each thing you'd be eating. Maybe one piece of bread at a restaurant instead of two. But basically accepting yourself, would that free you up psychologically, free up your time and money to be spent on things more pleasurable than using hair torturing devices to torture your hair, surgical precision to put on makeup every day, endlessly searching stores to find clothing that makes you feel great and then having to return it when you change your mind? Does it come down to fundamental self-acceptance? Now let's talk, let's turn to making the most of your looks without it taking too much time and effort. If you have a haircut that doesn't require a lot of maintenance, I'm not saying it needs to be ugly at all, but a low maintenance haircut. If you want, if you want to wear makeup, what would be really simple and easy to do every morning? Should you decide that instead of a closet or three packed with stuff, that you're just going to have, you know, maybe a dozen outfits for various occasions and half dozen pair of shoes and sneakers, and keep only the stuff that's really your favorite, so that every day you're looking better you're looking your best. Now a perhaps surprising word about cosmetic surgery. Until not long ago, I bought the conventional wisdom that it's a foolish thing to do. There are people who turn out to have nightmare results from, the, from cosmetic surgery. It's a use of medical resources that could be otherwise spent on more important things. It, uh, it's very often used as a way to try to find a, a fast fix for character unhappiness, you know, unhappiness with who you are. But I've seen a few examples, and I don't have a huge sample size here, but I've seen a few examples of people who were a little bit aging and were important positions where they were public and getting, or that they were single and newly divorced, and that they, that having a, a 
you know, what they call a facelift, from a really well-regarded plastic surgeon, cosmetic surgeon, ended up really taking 10 to 15 years off of their uh, appearance and really enormously increased their, their confidence, um, maybe more than years of psychotherapy would do. It's not covered by insurance, so it isn't cheap. But I've become at least agnostic on cosmetic surgery. If you're not trying, if you're not doing it to try to compensate for your lack of, um, of your, your personal self-esteem based on your accomplishments and ethics. So, what else do I want to say about any of that? Let's let's turn to um, to substance. What you could otherwise be doing um, with the time and money and effort that you've been spending on your appearance. And I guess what I'll do is give a, a, a you know a, a buffet of options. See if any of them appeal to you. Do you want to spend the time on some recreation that you would get derive a lot more pleasure from than doing your hair, makeup, clothes, shopping, hair coloring? Do you want to work on some kind of self-improvement thing? Like improve your skills that would improve your work life. Like take a you have a uh, take a course, an online course or an in-person course class if they're available subject to covid restrictions. Do you want to are you sick of Zoom or do you want to get together on Zoom with some colleagues and have perhaps a weekly discussion group about key issues in your field? Do you want to write something? People gain so much clarity from writing, whether it be in a journal or a blog or even in a book, even if the book never gets published. A lot of benefit derives from that. Communication skills. Almost everybody thinks they can communicate well because we've all, we all know how to speak. But the reality is the art of effective communication and especially persuasion is extremely difficult. It requires an understanding of the right words to use at the right time with the right person, when to be brief, when to be more extended, when to talk facts, when to talk feelings, when to preserve some of the, the listener's self-esteem, when to create disequilibrium. So simply watching YouTube videos of great communicators or having conversations with the person you believe to be the best listener and best talker. Listening is very important. Getting their feedback would seem to me a hell of a better use of your time than doing so much regarding your clothes, hair, makeup, let alone worrying if you've got a bad hair day. Some, you know, sometimes it's the, the time could be better spent, as I said, on some recreation that either you've never done or you really would find great pleasure in becoming a master at it, whatever it is, whether it's uh, uh, knitting or it's chess or it's uh, playing music or your stand-up comedian routine. I would think that that's going to be a far more useful use of your time than focusing on appearance. Let's play shrink a little bit here now. When I come back, we're going to, I'm going to take a brief break, and when, when I come back, we're going to talk about what are the psychological reasons 
that many people tend to focus excessively on looks. Stay with me. You're listening to How to Do Life with career and personal coach, Dr. Martin M. Coe. If you'd like to work with him, email him a description of your situation, mnemco at comcast.net. That's M-N-E-M-K-O at comcast.net. Marty is pleased if you choose to subscribe to this podcast. If you're not listening to this on Simplecast, just go to how-to-life.simplecast and click on listen and subscribe. Thank you for staying with me. Uh, We're talking about appearance and the disproportionate amount of time that we spend on our appearance. And I wanted to turn now to perhaps the psychological reasons we do could help you perhaps move forward from and not be a slave to to your appearance so much. Do any of these resonate as to reasons? Number one, you do feel insecure about the product within you, so you focus on the gift wrapping. Is it that you're afraid that people will judge you prejudge you based on your appearance. It might help to, to recognize that if, if somebody is prejudging you based on your appearance, just maybe, they may not be worth um, the effort of trying to get them to like you. The right person will be more likely to, to judge you and accept you based, based on your personality, based on the eth- your ethics, your, the quality of your work. And if they don't, just maybe, and maybe this is too idealistic, maybe you're better off. I will admit that all my whole life, maybe it's because I grew up in the late 60s in the hippie movement, hippie times, even though I was far from a hippie, um, everybody shed their fancy clothes and makeup in favor of, you know, looking like the proles, like the proletariat, the people. And that's part of why, I, and I still feel that way. If you're not going to like me, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube, obviously, if you're listening to this on podcast, you don't see me. But I'm wearing a, a just a blue T-shirt and combed my hair. Took no time, no effort, and no cost. Um, if you're going to judge me ill because I'm not dressed in a shirt and tie and have a fashion-forward haircut, I guess I don't care that much. So think about the extent to which, you know, you want to to care. Other psychological factors about looks. Did you get from your parents an inappropriately, um, inappropriate emphasis on uh, on your appearance, either because your parents were fastidious in their own clothing and appearance and hair and yelled at you for not being, or the other way around. Maybe you saw them being quite schlumpy, and as a child, you were perhaps understandably embarrassed uh, about the way they looked, and so you reacted in the opposite way and said, you know, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to care a lot about my looks. I'm going to focus on that. Okay, just those are some some psych... And I'll just ask an open-ended question. Can you think of another psychological reason, not why you care about looks, but why you care uh, too much about looks. 
Now let's turn to judging others. As I said, we're a look at species. We tend to judge others based on their looks. As they say, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And sometimes those initial judgments are correct. Uh, it's been said, for example, that uh, the older we get, the more we wear our personality in our face. If you've got a wrinkled brow, if you see somebody with a wrinkled brow, it probably tends that they tend to worry a lot. If their corners of their, their mouth tend to turn down, they may be a sad or serious person. If they tend to slightly turn up, they may be an upbeat person. And yes, all things being equal, if they're, they're wearing wrinkled, yucky clothes, untucked in shirt, it suggests that perhaps they don't care very much about their looks, for better or worse. Maybe that's a you know a sign that they are really they're not a person of uh, who of substance. But it could be again that they don't care that much. But I think at the extremes, I mean, just looking basically neat. If they don't, if they really are, their hair is wild, their their shirt is untucked and wrinkled. That may be a reason for me to to be somewhat judgmental. Other things you might judge how. You know, are they trying too hard to be fashion-forward? When I see somebody with 18 piercings and 20 tattoos all the way up and down their arms and legs and spiky hair and cool baseball cap turned around backwards and a cool crystal necklace or whatever and Ray-Ban sunglasses and designer label clothes, it seems to me that they're trying too hard. Uh, speaks of values that maybe value the superficial and also that stuff does, ends up look it, it may sound cheap but those torn jeans for example cost a fortune I've seen people pay $300 for a pair of torn jeans so in judging others you know there's certainly a lot we can see and again while we certainly should embrace yeah I'll just stop, I'll stop there uh, no are you, uh, other things that are completely unchangeable we do tend to judge, think less of short people, fat people, bald people, old people. I'll put aside the race and gender question because it's such a complicated one. Although I've spent a lot of time thinking about these issues, I, the older I get, the more I feel I'm not wise enough to comment on that. That is, I'm not a shy person, but uh, race and gender, uh, realizing the, the wise thing to say in, the, in various contexts, something I'm not smart enough, wise enough to, to do, so I just avoid that. But we certainly do make judgments based on all those things, sometimes based irrationally, racist and sexist, sometimes based on some legitimate factors that they may be, we may, you may be experiencing. So the question is, do you want to pull back, pull on some ropes of restraint and not focus so much on appearance, or are you pretty damn good at, at making reasonable inferences about a person? Think back to your, your judgments, your initial judgments of people based on how they look. How accurate have they been? Frankly, as a career counselor, you know, part of my responsibility is to make tentative hypotheses about a person as quickly as possible, and then of course keep readjusting. In the days before COVID, when clients would come to my office, from the minute they walked in, I'm the second they walked in, I'm looking 
I'm looking them over to make inferences about who they are. Of course, I'm listening to what they're saying and how they're saying it. But their posture can speak to security or insecurity. Their, their, how much, what they do with their clothes, their hair, their makeup. I remember a fellow um, broadcaster on a radio station that I was in uh, who had a very, a woman who had a very, very short haircut. And I asked, uh, and it hadn't been that short, and I said something like, and it's been a long time since so I don't remember, but um, I'm, I'm wondering whether you're wearing your haircut to make a political statement. I think I said it a little more tactfully than that. But she got really angry and said, yes, of course, it's, everything we do is a political statement. So, but the point is we make judgments about, we can make judgments about so much from appearance. And when we are judging others, of course, you don't want to make it a, a, an ossified judgment, a judgment that is not subject to revision based on what the person says and does. But you have to ask yourself, are you making those judgments? Are those, they t do they tend to be accurate enough? Do they do you not make them so hardened, so ossified, so that if the person ends up being different than their appearance would suggest, that you nonetheless remain open? So really look at your judgments, both retrospectively and as you move forward. We can't help but making initial initial judgments. The question is, what do we do with those? Do we open-mindedly look for confirmation or refutation of those judgments? Or do we end up being so victim to what is called confirmation bias that we only look for signs that are confirming our initial judgment of the person? The really, the really good judge of a, uh, a person may indeed start with an initial hypothesis based on looks or the first words they say, and then revises as necessary based on what the person then says and does. It's not that they avoid making any judgments up front. That's, first of all, not realistic. And it eliminates the possibility that of a valid set of inferences, which often can be developed you know, in a moment, as Malcolm Gladwell in his book Blink. We can and do make judgments in a second, in a little first second we encounter somebody. But the magic, the secret is in, as I said, making it an initial tentative hypothesis about the person, not an ossified permanent judgment. It's got to be subject to refutation or confirmation based on what the person ends up being like. Uh, what else can you judge about a person that's of relevance? I don't know. I think I'm going to move into summary mode here. So first of all, I started this the show by talking about the importance of prioritizing substance over appearance. Are you spending too much time and effort and money on your appearance? And think of what you otherwise could be doing with the time, money, and effort. That's what's called opportunity cost. Could you be doing some recreation that you find much more pleasurable than playing with your clothes, hair, makeup, shopping, all the rest of it? Or in self-improvement, beyond the veneer of looking better, whether it be to improve some skill or ability. I didn't mention public speaking, another critical skill that doesn't come easily, and, but is critical in so many, so many lines of work and in volunteer work and in, in your hobbies, even if you're just giving a toast at a wedding. Could you be spending time on skill development, on recreation, on dealing with your anxieties? And instead of being so anxious about your looks, Focus on realistically what you can do to reduce your anxiety regarding the things that are more important, like your work, your relationships, 
even the meaning of life. Do you pay too much attention to your appearance? Then I talked about the importance of acceptance. Ultimately, it's healthiest if you can basically accept your look. That doesn't mean be a pig. It doesn't mean don't comb your hair. It doesn't mean wear no makeup necessarily. It doesn't mean wearing uh, wrinkled shirts. But basically accepting your, your looks, how attractive, how lucky you were in the genetic lottery in terms of your conventional, how conventionally attractive you are, your face and your body. Some people just have a, the conventionally desired slender body and others just have a predisposition toward being heavier. Of course, if you're at the unhealthy obese level, then you probably need to do something about it. But acceptance may be the most important thing. And we talked about ways you can make the most of your looks. Perhaps, for example, by, and we didn't talk about this, but maybe getting a makeover by the makeover person at a big department store. There's usually a number of them there. Picking the one that maybe looks a little like you. So you may have a better sense of who you are. Getting a haircut that really works well. Maybe indeed practicing your smile a bit in front of uh, in front of a mirror and seeing which one you like. Getting rid of most of the stuff in your closet, shoes, accessories, clothing, so that you have only the really stuff you really that makes you look best. And then I even made a pitch for that plastic surgery may or may not be such a bad idea, depending upon your situation, because I have seen some people who didn't do it because they hated themselves, but because they really wanted to enhance their looks in this look of society, and they were public people, and another one who was recently single and wanted to realize that uh, people are attracted to the visual and had facelifts by a really good cosmetic surgeon. And so um, those are my thoughts. Prefer, you know, I tend to be moderate about most things. Yes, focus more on the steak than the sizzle, but a little focus on the sizzle maybe a realistic concession to what humankind is, which is a visual species. In any case, uh, this is Marty Nemco reminding you that we find comfort among those who agree with us, growth among those who don't. You've been listening to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. For comments on the show or to consult with Marty Nemco, his email address is nmenko at comcast.net. How to Do Life is produced by Marty Nemco. Post-production, Terry Rouse. Music from the Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening.